Okay, cool. So let's go for it. Do we got a lot to go through today. Just to give you guys a overview of how things are going with these with these masterminds. We don't have any Ship 30 live cohorts until August. Cole and I are going to be together in Miami for the entire summer. And so these are going to be weekly events. Every single week, we're going to sit down and we're going to jam. We're going to talk whatever's top of mind for us. We're going to take in um, requests of specific things to cover, specific things to talk about. You'll be able to submit your questions in advance. We're going to go limit of one question per person. So you get targeted. Think about exactly what you want to ask. And we'll kind of make sure we try to get to all the most relevant ones. On top of that, we're going to have a bunch of um, interview webinars. We have J.K. Molina next week. We have Ali Abdal lined up. We have a bunch of other people that it's going to be fun. We're going to take guest requests. I think we have a post up in Circle for you to request guests as well um, that you want to, us to reach out to because everyone, we have access to talk to some pretty cool people. So we'll want to be able to do that. And then other than that, we're just excited to keep building things out and add a little bit more structure to the zero to one, zero to $1 roadmap. We think we're going to take it and condense it down into a 30 day roadmap. So it's got very clear actionable steps for you to take over the course of 30 days. And that way it's easier to kind of track your progress, make sure you're making progress, all that stuff. So lots of good stuff on the horizon, but today we want to jam on a few things. Cool. What do you want to start with LinkedIn or newsletters? I think we, we want to talk a little bit about both, but I can start with either one. I think we should start with newsletters because I've, cool. I've been getting a lot of questions about this. Um, a couple of things I'd love to just riff on Dickie, if you're, if you're, go cool for it. it. Let's but, do it. So one of, one of the big questions um, and the reason why we want to make these captain's table uh, sessions very mastermind feeling is we want to share things with you that we don't necessarily always write about or share publicly. Like these are things that Dickie and I are thinking through ourselves. And we usually, we like implementing them ourselves first. And then after we test and after we go through all that, then like six months later, we end up sharing it. So our hope is in these uh, captain stable sessions is being a lot more unfiltered with you all and sharing more of our process as we go through it so that you all can benefit from that and incorporate the same things. One of the questions I get asked all the time is about Substack, And what I see is people say things like, um, you should write in social environments like Twitter, LinkedIn, Medium, Quora, or Substack. And they include Substack in that idea of I'm writing somewhere where there's already readers. And I want to like really draw this distinction because it's important. Substack in its current form and likely for the foreseeable future I do not consider as a digital writing platform. I do not consider it as a, there are already readers here because there's no real mechanism for people to discover your work. This is kind of what Substack is experimenting with, with their app, but they've made it very clear. I'm, I'm in the Substack beta. I've gotten to know their team. They've made it very clear that they're like, we hate Twitter. We hate viral loops. We hate algorithms. We hate all things social and they kind of want to build their own little walled garden. And so what that means is if you are someone thinking, okay, I want to start building an audience and I want to start gathering data and gathering feedback, you don't want to start on Substack because who's, who's going to find your work, right? There's no mechanism for people to discover you. And instead, the, the way of thinking of any newsletter platform, doesn't matter if it's Substack, if you're running it more entrepreneurially in ConvertKit, if you're using something like Beehive, if you have a MailChimp opt-in, it doesn't matter. Newsletters think of as like separate things, right? So you have your social audience and then your social audience drives attention to your newsletter. It's a destination. It is not a flywheel. And so whenever people say, I want to start, should I start on Medium or should I start on Twitter or should I start on Substack? There's, there's like a flawed thinking happening. They're not the same thing, right? So that's the first, that's just like the big first idea that I want to convey because I'm noticing a lot of people are, are confusing that point and going, I want to start with Substack versus I want to start with 
a more powerful engine like a Twitter or a LinkedIn and then bring people to Substack. So Cole, I just dropped in the chat the thread I wrote on uh, if I was starting over and we can skip the beginning part of it, but I think it walking through that logic of Twitter plus a newsletter and how you would think about that combination. And we can either share the screen and kind of walk down through it. But this resonated with a lot of people because I think it's realizing that they're completely different things. So I walked through at the beginning. I'm like, okay, first, don't start a blog. We, we already know that if you're on this call, you know that that's not the answer. But from here, it's, okay, I'm not starting a blog. Where do I actually start writing? And the exact approach I would take would be Twitter and LinkedIn with a newsletter, right? Newsletter, publish once a week, figure out what, so where I would get stuck. And so how I advise this, if you scroll down, I said, like, what would you share in the newsletter? So I said, there's a cadence for writing. We are all know you should publish something every day. I'd go with one quality tweet per day, five atomic essays a week to kind of work through some other ideas. And then um, one deep dive Twitter thread, but all, all the, the overarching principles you want to publish every single day. Um, but we know that. So one more, keep going, keep going. There you go. So newsletter, right? I said, publish it weekly, share your best piece of writing. So people, you're building a, a nurtured relationship. You can curate content relevant to the people that are reading your writing and then end with some kind of question prompting a reader response. So the way I think about a newsletter is everyone who actually reads your newsletter has a different level of um, personal relationship with you, I think, right? You're letting them in your inbox. It's a little bit different than letting them into your Twitter world. So when I think about what kind of content you deliver with that, I'm always thinking, okay, how is that different than what you're writing? So what's your take on that? Yeah, the easiest way to think of a newsletter is an expanded version of your best social content. Like no one, no one should sit down and go, I'm going to spend three hours today working on a newsletter on an idea that I haven't already tested or written about on Twitter or LinkedIn. You just shouldn't do it. It's a waste of time. Instead, it is exponentially easier to go. And, and we're using Twitter and LinkedIn because right now, those are the two most powerful engines. If you had asked, you know, five years ago, I would have said Quora and Medium. The game is always changing. Right now and likely for the next two years, we know that Twitter and LinkedIn are going to be the best, period, because they distribute content the fastest. So you have one or both of those. And every day you're like, I'm testing different ideas. And I'm seeing, you know, is it this framework that people are interested in? Is it this story people want to read more about? And then just pick an arbitrary day, every Friday. I go through all of the things I tweeted, all the LinkedIn posts I made, whatever. I go into my analytics and I go, okay, this one tweet got 30% more likes than everything else. That's really, clearly there's something there. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to expand it from, you know, 100 words into 500 words or into 1,000 words. That's my newsletter, right? And so there's there's something about not overcomplicating it where all you're doing is it's like start small in a fast environment, Twitter, LinkedIn, expand it longer into a slower environment newsletter. And then the third step is expand it again into an even slower environment, ebook course, some sort of digital product. Yeah. I think also with the newsletter, it's give them something other than just your writing. So I think this question prompt, ask them to hit reply, right? Figure out a way to also build the relationship. I wrote a curation newsletter for 70 weeks and it definitely accelerated my learning and personal growth because I knew every single week I was going to be learning and reading and I had to, right? I stopped doing that actually when I had a better sense for where I wanted to go because I didn't want to think about, hey, here's everything I read and learned this week because that was serving me less than I know what I should be doing, right? So it had turned into a little bit of a procrastination, but I referenced Beehive in this just because I looked at it and was like, 
this looks like it has everything that I would want if I was starting over again. Well, I started on Substack and now we write on ConvertKit, but we run our whole business on ConvertKit. It's a completely different thing. Someone was like, what's the difference between ConvertKit and Substack? I'm like, one is like an accounting platform and one is like Robinhood. Like they're mm-hmm. just completely, completely different things. You don't do anything the same to ConvertKit is a communication platform that allows you to know who your customers are, what they're clicking on, what they're using, segmentation, all that. Substack is like a place to send new emails. That's it, mm-hmm. right? So we couldn't run Ship30 on Substack. I think Substack is like a thing in your toolkit. Now, Beehive, I looked at right away because I, I wrote on Substack. My, my digest is still on Substack. I don't write it anymore, but it has no advanced anything. You, there's no referral program. There's no surveying. Like you can tell who clicked on what, but barely. It, it was it's horrible in my opinion. Versus Beehive, I was like, wow, if it actually does, I actually haven't used it. But I looked at it and was like, wow, it does about six things that Substack doesn't do that it didn't do a year ago and still not doing. Right. So I I would go with Beehive just because uh, across the board it looked like a better bet. I would say yeah, a good way of of framing this is like. It's it's funny, like so much of your success of, of being a writer or a digital creator all comes down to how entrepreneurial do you want to be? That's the whole question is like, how much time do you want to spend acquiring other skills that allow you to build things that other people can't? If you're in the camp of like, all I want to do is write and I don't ever want to acquire other skills. That's what a Substack is for. Substack is like super easy. You write, you hit publish, and you have people who subscribe. And that's it. It's like the newsletter version of Medium. The more advanced version is Beehive. And Beehive is like, you're a writer and you want to acquire some of these other tangential skills, you want to be a little bit more entrepreneurial, you want a little bit more control. So Beehive's like, okay, we'll allow you to like do things like referrals or do things like tracking or do things like paid ad uh, analysis, stuff like that. Like it's, it's, a, it's another notch of entrepreneurialism. And if you are okay with that and you want to acquire those skills, that's like the second more challenging version. More challenging, but more upside for you. And then the third is ConvertKit. ConvertKit is like, I am all the way on the entrepreneurial spectrum. I want to write, but I also want my writing to be a business. I want to build my business. That's a ConvertKit. You're not just a writer or a creator. You are a writer with a business or a creator with a business. So it all comes down to the question of like, how how entrepreneurial do you want to be? Yeah. So the way to think about this right now is we have on our convert kit, 40,000 people right now, 4,000 are going through the how to start writing online course. Another 2000 are getting pitched on joining ship 30. We're sending email replays with this recording. We're running a live ship 30 cohort all at the same time. Right. So that is what convert kit does versus Substack or beehive. Now, something we're talking about is Cole and I are putting together the write the course curriculum and content is keeping in mind when you make these decisions, where you want to go and picking platforms that do allow you to scale, right? So as I look at Beehive, you are going to have, you know, custom email sequences, segmentation, right? Where it gives you the optionality where if you build the entire thing only on Substack, knowing that you don't have those features in the future, you might want them, right? So it's not picking a platform strictly because it's doing what you need now, but also planning a little bit ahead. Do you want to be operating a course? Do you want to be selling products for your, via your newsletter? That That's the kind of thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And there's no, and and like everything that we say, it's not a marriage decision. Like you can build something and a year later go, I want to move it to a different platform. It's fine. It'll be annoying for like a week, you know, but it's, it's okay to change your mind later. Like, don't let that get in your way of starting, 
you know, just start somewhere, but mm-hmm. it's important to understand what are the differences. And so the, and then the other big thing that I'd love to just speak to for a second is this, this question around free newsletters versus paid newsletters and huge misunderstanding in the creator digital writer world is like, just because I have a paid newsletter means I make money. That doesn't work like that. You know, a paid newsletter is nothing more than the option of a paywall, right? It's just, you either get it for free or I charge you to read it. If you want to make money off of people reading your work, you need to have a significant amount of clarity around why, why that's worth the dollar value it is. And I will tell you, because I went through this when we were starting uh, our paid newsletter like a year and a half ago, uh, Category Pirates, 90% of the most successful paid newsletters are related to some sort of financial outcome. Pay me 20 bucks a month and I'll tell you what stocks to buy, make you money. Pay me 20 bucks a month and I'll tell you how to grow your business, make you money. Pay me 20 bucks a month and I'll tell you, right, XYZ, here's how to make more money. There's a reason why the paid news, and this goes back like 20, 30 years, like the original industry of paid newsletters were all financial. Like people who would buy access to paid newsletters, there's a, there's a big publishing company called Agora and Agora had, it still, still has a whole range of financial newsletters where you would subscribe to different writers. And those different writers would be like, I'm going to explain to you uh, healthcare stocks to buy, or I'm going to explain to you tech stocks to buy. Right. And the reason that someone can rationalize spending 20 bucks a month, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, hundred bucks a month on your content is because there's an immediate link to, I spend a hundred bucks. You're going to tell me how to make a thousand bucks. There's that's why paid newsletters have always been in the financial industry historically. Substack is opening it up a bit and it's like, Hey, you can charge, you can make money for writing lots of different things, but universally the most successful paid newsletters are ones with a financial outcome. And so you have to ask yourself the question of if you want to do that, are you writing about that? Like, is that the right vehicle to monetize your work? And if not, you're probably incentivized to just build a free newsletter and get 1% of those people to buy your ebook or to join your course or to hire you as a freelancer or a contractor or an advisor or a consultant. That is the much easier way to monetize. Yeah, a couple of things on that, right? If you have a paid newsletter, you are limiting your virality, right? No one can afford it. I think it's worth saying again, it's value-based pricing, right? If so, if I, let's take a theoretical example, right? If I said, here's my personal newsletter and every week I share three quotes and two pieces of content, it's 10 bucks a month. You're gonna be like, for what, right? You're just telling me to go do work, you know, versus, hey, if I said, I'm gonna write a newsletter on exactly how we're going to scale Ship30's email list. That's all I'm gonna talk about. We're going to say, I'm going to document the entire process from 30K to a million. Here's every step along the way. That's going to be extremely niche information. So the the way to think about, I think, paid versus unpaid is how specific you are in what you're talking about. If you're creating a hyper niche newsletter, people are paying for that because it's scarce information too, Mm -hmm. right? So you can either make people money or you can say, hey, you're not going to get this information anywhere else. Right. So whether that's, hey, you want to watch us build a million person email list, we're only going to do that because we're going to charge for this because we actually don't want to give it away to everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. So come on in if you want to pay for it. Right. We only want people who are willing to pay for it. Don't put personal content creation and writing behind a paid wall. Right. That, that I think that's the way to think about it. Yeah. That's, I want to double click on that. Like if you're just writing for yourself, or you're writing broadly, or you're writing about lots of different topics, a paid newsletter is like the worst choice you can make because the reader's like, I don't understand. I'm paying you 20 bucks a month, but, but one day I show up and I get a cheeseburger and the next day I show up, I get, you know, Parmesan chicken. Like what type of restaurant is this? Right. That's, 
That's what the reader's asking is if I'm giving you money, what exactly am I getting in exchange? So um, any question, like, let's just pause there. Any questions that people have on the newsletter front, feel free to throw it in the chat real quick, because I feel like this is something that, you know, you hear all the time. It's like, it's almost like zeitgeist wisdom where people are like, you need an audience or you need a newsletter. You need like, they just say these things and, and it's very easy to go, oh, I guess I need a newsletter. It's important to understand why though. And it's very, I, I will tell you as a, as a full time, like I make 100% of my income off of writing in some capacity. It is very hard to monetize your writing directly. It is very hard to go, I write words and people pay me to write those words. That's like the allure of a paid newsletter, the allure of writing on medium, even the allure of writing books. It is significantly easier to have that plus other ways that you make money. So you're not just selling your words, you're selling various digital products, you're selling a course, you're selling services, you're selling access to whatever knowledge you have. And so then if with that in mind, how do you get that offer in front of people? You put them on a free email list, right? Because the more people, if you have a thousand people on a free email list, all you really need is 1% of them to go, I love your stuff and I want to hire you or I want to do something with you or for you. And then all of a sudden you're monetizing, right? It's a great, that's the way to think about it. Yeah. All right. Why don't we talk LinkedIn? So we got newsletters. Cole and I are thinking, right? So right now, we're, our newsletter strategy is we're sending three, three emails a week. One super deep dive, one Wednesday roundup that links people back into our content ecosystem. And then one Friday kind of tactical tip that we really mix it up. We don't know if that's going to be the forever thing, but all we know is we're creating a ton of evergreen assets every single week. So it's been a nice forcing function for us to say, Hey, because we're turning these into blog posts as well. And so those are going to sit and earn just SEO as, as we think about that over the long term. But LinkedIn is something Cole and I have started writing on. And we're what, a month and a half in, Cole? I think we started mid March. And yeah, we're both up to, I'm at like 13, four, I think I'm at 15. Cole, you're at 20, 21, 21, something, 21,000 followers. And so we could talk about our playbook. Um, very simply, we started with go to our Twitter analytics, download our best 50 tweets and pretty much just repost them. And we've learned some subtle nuances. And my big takeaway, I'm actually writing on this right now. I, I outlined this thread this morning on why I think LinkedIn is the most underrated um, writing platform right now. And I laid out three reasons. First, um, it's got insane reach relative to your following. I think even more than Twitter, where the algorithm loves to show your stuff to people who don't follow you. I don't know what it is about it. I'm still kind of trying to crack it, but I mean, the number of new people it shows it to, it's got a very strong network effect. It's like TikTok. I saw Amanda Nat Natividad said it's like corporate TikTok and it's a genius um, way of thinking about it. It's got an algorithm that is going to show to a lot of people. It's uh, the mismatch between cons quality content and creators, right? Or consumers. There are a ton of people who just scroll on LinkedIn because they're scared to write, but they're not afraid to comment, mm -hmm. right? So they're scared to go out and say, hey, I have a boss. I don't want to be creating all this content. But if I'm commenting on other smart people, I look good, right? So that's how the viral loop works as well. When people comment a ton on your stuff, they blow up. And then the third one is people are nice. <laughs> no one wants to be a dick on LinkedIn yeah. because their boss is there. So it's like every single comment I get, it's like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever read, <laughs> yeah. which is really fun versus Twitter. It's like, actually, you know, X, uh -huh. Y, and Z, everything you say, right? You're like blocking people left and right. So those are my big three takeaways and it, I'm having fun. And half of this ship 30 cohort was from LinkedIn. And so we're also finding that people want to be writing who aren't 
And so we're exploring that a little bit, but that's my, my initial two cents on it. What do you think? Yeah, I just want to share. So this, this is exactly what we're doing. Okay. So again, goes back to data-driven writing. You go inside your analytics and up here, you can sort by all time. And then I go down here and I sort by views typically, or I'll, or I'll sort by likes. And I just look at, okay, well, what are all my most popular things on Twitter? And how there it's like so simple, it's complicated is when you take something that is already working on one platform, the likelihood that it's going to work on a second platform is so much higher, right? Because you already know, like, I already know that this thread that got 2.7 million views is probably also going to do very well on LinkedIn. So all I've been doing when, when Dickie and I decided, you know, we, we, you know, eat our own dog food. Like for the past year and a half, we've done nothing outside of Twitter. We just focused on one platform and we're like, we're going to get really good at one platform. We're going to build a huge library of content. Well, what's the benefit of building the library? The benefit is that when we decide and go, okay, now let's move into a second platform. Well, I haven't written one new thing on LinkedIn yet. Not a single one. Every single piece of content is something I already wrote on Twitter. So when I make the decision, I'm going to go to a second platform. All I do is go into my analytics and I go, okay, I'm going to start at the top. And every morning, literally like as a chore, I brush my teeth. I make my oatmeal for breakfast. I pour myself my cup of tea and I come downstairs and I take the next post and I copy paste it on LinkedIn. That's what I've been doing for the past month and a half. Every single morning takes me two minutes, right? And then the next day and I go down and I do the next one. The next day I go down and I do the next one. And the reason this works is because I already have data telling me, hey, this is all your most popular stuff. So why don't you start with the most popular stuff on the new platform? Oh, okay. I grow from uh, you know, 100 to 20,000 LinkedIn followers in a month and a half. That's not a surprise, right? We, I already knew that was going to happen because you're playing with a library of content that you've already validated. So this is where the flywheel starts to get really fun, right? Because then if we do this for another year and then another platform comes out and we're like, oh, now there's another opportunity. What do we do? I open up my analytics. I start back at the top and I copy paste one a day each day on the new platform. And now I grow there as well. That's the whole recipe. So I'll give, it's very easy. I mean, I, I didn't even do it with threads. I did it with individual tweets. So I went into my ILO and I sorted by the top 50 and I scheduled them out at 10 AM every single day for 50 days. And now I ran out. So I'll probably go back to number 50, but what writing works on Twitter pretty much works on LinkedIn. I'm still trying to figure out exactly the differences. People like to look smart on LinkedIn. So they like to look like they're reading smart things, right? So that's one thing, but here, let me, uh, let's look at this example. So I'll send you, if you look at the most recent post I had today, my strategy has been, so I'm writing atomic essays a lot right now. And I'm just using TypeShare to say, I'm going to repost them to LinkedIn. So if you take a look here, um, there is today's LinkedIn post. And then here is the Twitter atomic essay version, right? So let me dig into a little bit of the tactical because I think everyone who is writing on Twitter right now using TypeShare should be writing on LinkedIn as well. So here, let me drop this in the chat. Okay. So if you look at this one, boom. The differences, main tactical differences, right, is there's no headline in LinkedIn, right? So I'm not getting people with a headline. So I cut that out. But here's the really important part, right? So let's look at the difference here. This, the first opening line here is for the first 25 years of my life, I had one money goal, save more and spend less. Same exact opening line. But then I said, but last year I made a simple money mindset shift. Oh, there's a typo. Um, that completely changed my worldview. And I didn't have that there. The reason I did that was on LinkedIn, the first five lines. So Cole, if you just go to 
um, without hitting Seymour. Yeah, there you go. Right. So here it is. For the first 25 years of my life, I had one money goal, save more and spend less. But last year, I made a simple money mindset shift that completely changed my worldview. Colon. So now you have to click see more to read it. Right. That's very tactical of creating a lead in that causes people to click see more. So I edited for only on LinkedIn using TypeShare. So if you haven't done this yet, I think it's the coolest thing we've built. It's right before I hit publish, I said, I'm going to go over to LinkedIn now. I'm going to edit just for LinkedIn and I'm going to make sure my first five lines end with a colon, right? And this is having more success on LinkedIn than it is on Twitter, right? And so is there, um, I just wanted to walk through how I'm doing it because I think it's pretty straightforward. You just want the little tactical differences. There's not a copy paste, right? You want to be platform native. I actually post this to Medium, but Medium, I was straight copy paste. LinkedIn, different different tactics. And so this is just something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, to get super, super tactical with it, I think the reason why headlines, and, and again, everything is, worth testing. Like I've done some, some LinkedIn stuff where I have a mini headline, you know, like digital writing 101, you know, but I think the reason is because when people look at uh, articles or essays, they anticipate a headline. The brain is looking for that thing. But when you're reading a LinkedIn post, I mean, when you start reading this, you kind of are like, whether I decided or not, I'm already sucked into the story right? Like for the first 25 years of my life, ah, before I've even made the decision, if I want to read this, I'm already reading it. All right. So there's something about platforms where you're reading these like status updates. You, you want to get the reader into it as quickly as possible. So not having a headline is actually really great because you're like, Hey, I just want you to get right into it. So, but again, like there are times where this works and there's times where this doesn't work. Your job is to be aware of all these different variables and then to decide for yourself what works for you. Like there are a lot of writers that break all these rules and are successful. That works for them, but they had to do a lot of digging and a lot of trying to figure out what it was about that, that worked for them. Yeah. I think um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else on LinkedIn tactically. But the as other, you can see, go ahead. Yeah, the other tactical thing is uh, here. I I have it. Um, is linking to things in the uh, in the comments. So here, anytime that you're linking to something, here I'll find a better one. You want to do it inside the comments and not the main post. So where's this? I saw a comment on the templates one. You talked about TypeShare. Yeah, type TypeShare works. I'm trying to find the start writing online. There you go, right there. Oh, here we go. Okay, so here, writing something about Quora, I gave this one a little headline, right? Different mechanism. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You got to figure that out for yourself. And then down here, instead of linking to anything in the post, I'm linking to, okay, I want you to download this guide because this guide gets you onto our email list. And so if you notice the the flywheel for creators is very, very simple. You have two engines, Twitter and LinkedIn. You make your posts once a day, whatever, three times a week, whatever your cadence is. And then where it's relevant, you go, thanks for reading. If you want to go down the rabbit hole, click here to join my newsletter. And that's the whole game. It's literally that. Every single day, over and over again, that's it. And then once you have people on your on your newsletter list, it becomes, a, okay, now what's the next thing I can give you? You're all here for writing tips. How can I give you something more valuable? You're all here for time management advice. How can I give you something more valuable? That's what it means to be a quote unquote creator. And it's so simple. It's easy, right? I mean, I don't know. Now I just know that, hey, when I'm writing tweets, I'm going to put them on LinkedIn. And when I'm writing essays and when I'm, when I'm writing threads, they're going to go on LinkedIn and they're going to have success. And I don't have to overthink it. Um, very cool idea, Aaron, of showing the above the fold type share preview. 
of mm-hmm. a LinkedIn preview in TypeShare. We'll send that to Sam. That's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, to optimize for the before see more. Eventually, we want to bake these tactics into TypeShare and um, on Twitter and LinkedIn stuff and just bake it in where it's like, hey, you should probably fix X, Y, and Z. That's mm-hmm. kind of the longer term vision. And the, the reason that um, we're emphasizing, like this is all the very technical, almost like process side, you know, where are you posting? What are you linking to? How do you link it? Like we're, we're basically talking about the construction of it, but once you understand that, and once you get in the habit of it, that allows you to spend 99% of your time thinking about, okay, now how do I make sure that the content I'm putting inside these vehicles is valuable? And that's the, the real game. The, the construction part is like the knowledge you need in order to like get started. You know, it's like, okay, I, I write here and then I link people to this thing and then I monetize in this way. Cool. You get it. You don't need to overthink it. No need to spend another hundred hours thinking about it. Like that's what it is. The game is then going, all right, so what sort of water is flowing through here? Is this like sewage water and people don't think it's very valuable or is this like pristine, you know, fresh water from Antarctica? Right. Like we got to we got to figure out the quality of the water, of the creative juice that's flowing through this vehicle. And that's where all your time should be spent talking to readers, gathering data, figuring out, like, am I answering your question? Is this really your problem? Is this the most valuable? Right. So. Yeah, that's a good question, too. For in-depth articles, do you write the expanded newsletter version first, then reduce for LinkedIn and Twitter or the other way around? I would almost always say the other way around because why, why start with I'm writing something long and I'm assuming this is what everyone wants and cares about. Oh, and then I'm going to turn it into tweets and LinkedIn posts. You can do that if you've already gathered the data and you already know this is going to be an interesting topic, but more times than not, it's, it's much better to start small and then double down on the things that are working. Yeah. And then Eva on, um, if I space them out, no, I literally post them at the same time. So Twitter, LinkedIn, getting hit on both. Very different audiences. Like, I don't think there's much overlap of the people following me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I don't think people consume on both. Yeah. I think LinkedIn consumers are primarily LinkedIn consumers and Twitter consumers are primarily Twitter consumers. You don't like switch between and scroll, right? Um, That's my take. And with questions like that, I just want to emphasize like, and even if that was the case, who cares? You know, like, it's not like if you, if you follow someone that you really love their work and you see that they put the same thing on Twitter and LinkedIn, it's not like you're going to sit there in front of your computer and be like, I'm never reading your stuff ever again. I can't believe you copy pasted the same thing twice. Right. Like, so I think whenever you're asking yourself, like, should I do this or should I do this? Put yourself in the shoes of you being the reader. Would you care? No. Right. So mm-hmm. like, don't, then don't worry about it. And anytime you find yourself being like, oh yeah, I wouldn't really care. Then just like, let it go. Right. Cause you don't need to spend time thinking about it. I, I think I, I say this all the time, but like almost every question of, is the reader going to do X, Y, and Z comes from me from a place of thinking the world is like reading everything I say, right? Where it's, oh my God, you did X, Y, and Z. You posted at the same time on Twitter and LinkedIn. No one, no one's on both at the same time, right? Seeing that. Yeah. Yes. Small bets on Twitter, small bets on tweets. That's why I, I always hammer home this idea of you should be writing one quality tweet per day and putting it out. There's no better way to gather data. People asking questions as a response. I mean, I'm going to go 30 for 30, this ship 30 cohort, almost exclusively answering questions to the previous day's piece of writing, which is the easiest way to do things. Half my essays are now tweets that I then expand. We did a deep dive and uh, talked about it on our latest ship 30 live call, where I literally wrote my most viral atomic essay from a tweet expanded. Mm-hmm. Right. Your tweets are just your main points without the, the meat. You know, I could write a post. So I'm writing a thread on why I think LinkedIn is a good place to write. I could summarize that in a one bullet point or in one tweet. Right. I probably should have. I kind of have already. 
I've talked about it a little bit. Matt, this question of, you know, the things that get the most reach and resonance are around hot button topics. Don't love the negative attention, but they work. I mean, every, everything that you write is an option. You know, when you write something and it works, you have the option of doing it again, right? If you write something that doesn't work, you have the option of trying it again, or you have the option of saying, I don't, okay, that didn't work. I don't want to do that anymore. So the biggest thing that we're trying to encourage is you, you pick, you know, and if you see something working, but eventually you're like, eh, I don't really enjoy this, then don't keep doing it you know, but then go, go back through the process and find the next thing that does work, but you do enjoy, you know, it's, I think too often writers kind of just stop at the, all right, well, this is working. So I guess I'm going to do that for the next 30 years, or they do the, well, this is never working, but you know what? It's what I want to write about and screw the reader. I just want to do what I want to do. So, okay, well, that's fine. Then just don't complain that no one's reading your stuff right? You have to, the, the key is to find the middle ground is like what's working for the reader and what's working for you. That's what you're going to stick with the longest. What are the questions we got? Got a few minutes here. Anything specific sticking out? So we talked LinkedIn, we talked newsletters. Those are a big focus for us. Um, doing some learning on funnels is kind of top of my list right now, but we're going to, we're going to double down on doing some work on type share, some email marketing on that side, but that's all that's kind of on our list. So we're sticking to, uh, you know, ship 30 is not going to change much going forward. We know that our goal is to just kind of create more assets around it that, that drive more attention to it. Short form, short form versus long form. I think same way you would on Twitter. It's five, ish tweets a week or one tweet a day and then expand the long form that has been validated right so one or two longer form pieces a week i think is the sweet spot but i don't know test i I would test it i think go ahead yeah i also want to emphasize like don't don't get caught up in the you know, how, how many short form tweets do I write each week and how many long form things do I write each week? And it's, it's kind of the wrong place to start the thinking, right? A, a more effective way of starting the thinking is what are all the things that I can say that are going to matter the most to the reader? If, if you can get it done in short form, great. If you, if it requires long form, great. Like it, all that matters is, am I giving the reader something that they're actually going to sit there and go, Wow. Like when I write something on LinkedIn and people comment, I just bookmarked this. I don't take that as like, ha, huh, cool. Someone commented, right? I take that as, wow, someone bookmarked this. Okay. What are all the things that I did in this? And how can I do that again and again and again and again and again? Right. So I think too often the whole like social media writing online, all that advice gets very into like, if you tweet five times a week, then you'll be successful. No. Like you could tweet a hundred times a week and you're not going to be successful because it doesn't have to do with the number of times you write. It has to do with the level of value that you're providing to the reader. Yeah. Okay. So we've spent a lot of time on tactics here. I think in the long term, you want to be spending about 10% of your time on tactics. When to post, how to write, just things that look a certain way. I actually really like this question from Phoenix of how do you go from the writer mindset to the zero to $1 mindset? And my immediate gut reaction is there is no difference. You are solving problems in both places. One, you're charging for, which means you need to solve bigger problems and more specific problems. Or people pay for convenience and the packaged up. You could find a lot of the Ship 30 curriculum if you went through every single one of our videos and every single one of our newsletters and spent hundreds of hours curating it all. And if that's your thing, go for it. Or you can pay $500, $600 for it all packaged together to get live access to us, right? So that, I think the number one difference between your writing and your products is simply the packaging inconvenience. It's organization and access. Right. 
So it's not, hey, I I have to go magically put this new thing together. It's, I'm just going to package it up because I'm saving them time. And maybe you get more specific on the outcome you're creating. Yeah. This, I, I can't stress enough how much like, this is the most underutilized or an, an under discussed uh, element of monetizing yourself as a writer or creator. You don't have to think of them as separate things. You think of it as like, I have all the free stuff that I did on the internet. And if you want to go take a hundred hours to filter through it, you can, or I can organize it all for you into a $20 book. Or I can organize it all even more for you and I can include videos and I can include resources and I can include worksheets and I can include community support and you have a course. Or I can do all of those things plus you get direct access to me and I will answer all of your questions along the way. It's the same content, like fundamentally it's you're basically monetizing the same exact content, but the way that you're organizing it and the way that you're giving different levels of access to people is what changes. Mm-hmm. And it, that is also part of the struggle with selling things is you're, you have to educate the market a little bit on the fact that, that this is going to save them time, right? The more that you can position your product is actually going out there and saying, yes, a lot of this information is out there. If you want to go and find it all, go for it. Or here it is for you, right? You can easily position time in that way, especially when you're charging for your zero to $1 product in that $29, $49-ish range, $10, right? It's like, look, if you don't value your time at you know, 10 cents an hour, this is high return on investment. Yeah. So it's an easy thing that you can kind of talk about. Yeah. When do we plan on launching the 30 days? It's really uh, probably sometime this summer. It's just mapping it out. But you could honestly turn it into your own 30 days, right? It's saying, hey, here's the six modules. I'm going to go through one of them per day, split up however you want to, Mm -hmm. right? Think about it as you should be able to complete this in 30 days. So if you go through the whole thing, create your own timeline, maybe find some accountability partners. A new feature we have in the captain's table is the rapid fire intro. Has anyone done that yet? We put that in the captain's table letter. So now we have, just like we had with ship 30, you can meet a captain's table member instantly, right? So if you want an accountability partner, you want to talk to someone, boom. I think that's one of the coolest parts of our community is your ability to do that. Yeah. Um, What else we got? Phoenix, that's, that's a great, simple way of saying it. The business side is either you're saving someone time, you're saving someone money, or you're making them more money. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty much every product that's worth buying can be reverse engineered into one of those three buckets. And so you have to think like, again, so much, I, I want to, I'm going to emphasize this till the cows come home. Dickie and I do not spend more than, 38 seconds thinking like, should I post at this time of day or this time of day? Or should this be a tweet or should this be a thread? Or should this be in a time? Like it, it is literally like it barely is even a thought. What we spend our time thinking about is, is it this problem that the reader cares about? Or is it this problem? And which one of those problems is more valuable? And how do I tell the reader that this problem is valuable, right? 99% of how we spend our time is thinking about what does the reader need in order to care about this? And almost 0% of our time is like, when should I post each day, right? And I and it's so important to like reorient the headset around that. It is like, if you do nothing else, go get on a Zoom with someone who you know is obsessed with the thing that you're writing about and talk to them ask them what problems they have, ask them what they're interested in, like get to know that person. Like they're your best friend and create everything that that person needs. And if you do that, you will make six figures as a writer or a creator period done. End of story. But most people don't take the time to go, well, who is that person? 
and what are their problems and what do they need? If you're on this call, at some point you read the Ship 30 landing page that said the 10 biggest problems beginner writers have. Procrastination, over-editing, coming up with ideas, choosing a platform, picking tools. I found those questions from the very original Ship 30 cohort where I just spun up a Slack channel and I had an individual interview with all 50 people. I was like, tell me your problems. What are they? And then I was like, what are the 10 that came up over and over and over and over and over again? And if you go through the zero to one module, we lay that thinking out. But the whole thing is I knew I was going to solve the problem for one person and let the scale of the internet do the rest. That is the, the value to unlock is if you want to sell a product to a million people, you sell, sell a product to one person and then you put it on the internet, right? Because there are millions of people with that exact same problem. People think that, oh, to, I, I need to figure out what these million people want. No, you need to figure out one problem, solve it specifically, and your success is guaranteed, right? That's the, that's the hard part. The easy part is saying, hey, internet algorithms, go work for me forever, 24-7 for free, and go show it to everyone, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to do any work. That part's easy. Yeah, it's so simple, it's complicated. It's so simple, it's complicated. Go find, go find someone who is obsessed with the thing that you're writing about. Make them your best friend, and they will give you all the answers. Oh, I just have to create for you. That's it. That's all I have to do. Any other uh, final questions before we, before we wrap up here? Also, is this is this stuff that is helpful? Because if it is, like this is the kind of stuff that Dickie and I want to make these masterminds more focused around. Like we want to just share very unfiltered. This is how we're thinking about things. Um, and I feel like you know one of the things that I benefit. I I've had, I've been fortunate to have a couple really great mentors in my life. And the thing that was always most helpful for me was getting to just spend time around them. It was like osmosis, you know, and that is very much what we're hoping to do here as well is like by just spending more time like this, it'll allow you to soak in the thinking and soak in the way of operating. And it's one of those things where sometimes like it doesn't click right away, but like then three months goes by and you're like, wow, I feel like I've soaked up so much. So um, it seems like a lot of people got a lot out of this, which is great. Yeah. Do us a favor. When we post the replay of this, if you were on this live and you could post a comment with your biggest takeaway, just flood it with comments. So everyone who doesn't attend live gets a little bit of FOMO for the next one. So we can start to blow these up. We want, we have 700, 750 captain's tables members. We want to keep getting more and more people into these sessions because it's going to be fun especially yeah. this summer. Cole and I will do a few in person together. Um, that's going to be good. And yeah, I think we want to keep doubling down on this, right? I have five new ideas. I just talked through my whole LinkedIn post, right? We're, it's a benefit to us to get to share these ideas as well. So we want to keep doing it. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for coming. Uh, I know it's always asking a lot to carve out an hour, but Hope you walked away with some good takeaways. Hope you, uh, if you've been thinking about starting a newsletter, you've got some clarity. Uh, encourage everyone to play with LinkedIn because, man, is it an opportunity. And uh, happy Thursday. Boom. All right, everyone. Talk soon.